Sweet. Well, today we're talking about the spiritual, dis- the spiritual practice of stillness, the spiritual discipline of stillness, and you're probably wondering why have they got the, the youth pastor, young guy, talking about how to be still. Um, I haven't mastered it myself. It's a, um, it was pretty fun preparing the message this week because I felt a bit woefully inadequate. But um, I learned a lot and I'm excited to share with you guys about it. Um, and stillness, to put simply, is the practice of being, the practice of deliberately slowing down. Um, I, in my like, preparation, I came up with a definition that kind of made sense to me and we'll unpack it as the sermon goes on. But stillness is the practice of single-minded, self-sacrificial openness to God without works or control or manipulation or underlying motives. We'll, yeah, we'll work through that. But one thing I do want to make clear, we are, for those who are here for the first time or haven't been to church for a while, we're unpacking, we're going through a series of spiritual practices and learning how to walk in the way of Jesus, how to learn, uh, learning how to, how to be a disciple because being a disciple involves following Jesus' disciplines and what he did and and the life that he lives. So we're going through a series, and this is the first week. So spiritual discipline one we're learning today is stillness. Um, And I do want to make clear just before we start, stillness, although it's related to rest, it's not the same as rest. Rest is a time of of restoration for the burdened and the weary. It's a a time of healing. But stillness is different. Stillness is an attentive waiting or an active stopping. It's just being. Um, The two interact. Sometimes you might fall asleep while practicing stillness and it's probably because you just need some rest but like stillness itself you're paying attention in a way you're you're waiting you're deliberately letting go of things and I think it's really necessary to talk about stillness in this day and age because we don't have it it's very rare um we rush and and we panic humans today do not seek silence and solitude we fill the void with noise deliberately and without even realizing and we just we're we're just in this constant rush this constant pace we don't know how to slow down Um, now I'm going to take a moment to bring you guys along the journey of my wrestle with stillness and I know that there are elements of my 25 year old privileged living at home dominant Australian culture life that you're not going to relate to Um, but I know that the human experience is something we share together and so I'm going to share what pursuing stillness is like for me. Maybe I'll sound crazy and you'll tune out for the rest of the message. That's fine. Um, just let's, let's give it a go. So I'm going to dive into yesterday morning, all right? Yeah, let's, let's take yesterday for example. I wake up after a long sleep, head heavy from a big night at youth. Um, my phone is on the bedside table. It was the last thing I saw before I fell asleep. And you know it's the first thing I'll see in the morning. Got to check the cricket scores. Australia were four wickets down with a hundred odd lead. Um, I don't understand why every Ashes test has been so close, but it's fascinating stuff. Let's read about it. After reading a couple of articles, um, Travis Head is still in. That's good. Let's see the ball-by-ball commentary of every ball he's faced so far to see if he's playing a controlled innings or not. Um, I should say good morning to Emily as well. Um, But then... (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's Head. There we go. Anyway, I should say good morning. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Emily too. Um, I get the two confused sometimes. <laughs> yeah. 
No, but then I see there are messages I need to reply to from the night before. But I don't want to. So I put my phone down. But I should. So I pick my phone back up to reply to them. Time to check socials. Instagram first. It's like an eye looking at us right now, hey? Um, a bit sus. Um, it's fine. I'm probably on there for about 20 minutes. No clue what I actually scrolled past upon reflection. But that is fine. There's this new app called Threads. Who's on Threads at the moment? <laughs> like one verse. <laughs> anyway, who knows what Threads is? Anyone? All right, there we go. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, essentially, it's like a new Twitter where you're just posting your thoughts um, and you're just stream of consciousness. It's, it's stupid, but I jump on and think of funny things to say, witty things to say for who knows how long. But it is a Saturday morning and that can mean only one thing in the Carboni household. Cleaning. So I get up eventually to make brekkie and a coffee. Mind you, Dad's already been out and come home and Mum's doing the groceries. I know I'm lazy. But I didn't get home until 12.30 from youth, to be fair, so I had a bit of a snooze. I chat to the parents a bit. I do my washing and clean the bathroom. Then it's time to finish off sermon prep. Um, Saturdays are meant to be my day off. Uh, but this week's been such a rush of work and youth things that I need the afternoon to polish off the message, maybe write a monologue about the stream of thought going through my head of the day so far. I don't know. <laughs> but you can't write about stillness unless you're actually practicing it. But there's ice cream I brought home from youth, so I should eat that first. It's really good stuff. <laughs> it was good. That actually reminded me, Lou and Paul were serving at youth and they were lumping huge serves of ice cream in the cups for these young people. And then I quickly, at who, young people eating like multiple cups of this ice cream and quickly discovering their lactose intolerance. <laughs> we had guys using the girls' toilets with supervision because there's only one cubicle for the guys in there. <laughs> Juanita was watching carefully to make sure nothing was going on. Um, <laughs> I should thread about that, right? <laughs> I put my phone away and finally sit down and open my computer. Oh, I should do my tax return. <laughs> I got $38 back. How good. Um, I earned under the 18000 You don't need them. <laughs> I quickly make the incorrect decision to check Facebook. I just had to go through all the social medias, right? I watch a game of squash. I'm inspired but confused a bit. So I researched the rules of interference and obstruction, and then I send them to Finn and talk to him about it. He doesn't really agree. Um, that's fine. We chat a bit. It's lunchtime by this point, and mum's made zucchini slice. I'm a very blessed son, um, even if my board's going up. Um, <laughs> it's probably fair. I <laughs> but let's get back to the laptop. It's let's finish this sermon on stillness, all right? That's, my, that's that over. I don't think I've captured all the frenetic thoughts and wayward ideas that were going through my head, but our minds operate at this frightening speed, a frenetic pace, constantly absorbing noise. Perhaps it's my generation, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but life feels really loud. This became heaps obvious when I went on a silent retreat earlier this year. I'll touch on it more in a bit, but not, I, basically on this silent retreat, it was actually at this place, Seven Hill, up in the Clare Valley. Um, I didn't have my phone on for most of the five nights away and it was super fascinating because phones are a great amplifier of noise 
And so often we blame the phones as the problem for this struggle and this loudness. But going away, I realized that the noise is not the phone itself because the hum and the loudness in my brain continued long after that sucker was switched off. And I realized in this time that our minds have grown so accustomed to the frenetic pace of today that even when the devices that capture us aren't around anymore, we cannot slow down. Much like the Israelites in Egypt wandering the deserts, not knowing how to be free, we must rediscover the pace of life that God calls us to live at. And that requires much silence and solitude. Noise is the norm. Silence and solitude is weird. Imagine retreating to a quiet place for longer than an hour and just doing nothing. Perhaps people will wonder where you are. It just doesn't feel like a productive use of time, right? The energy we exert towards these ever-occupying things helps to make us feel important and useful. To feel in control, we build our identity on what we do. Imagine letting go of the control we pretend to have on our lives and taking 20 minutes a day of silence, stillness, solitude, giving God control of that insty-wincy portion of our time. What would happen? Very little? Perhaps God would astound you with a, with a vision or grandiose displays of fire and thunder. Perhaps he'd speak in a gentle whisper. Perhaps the time will humble you, reminding you of who is actually God over your life. Humility allows God's intervention. He's the center of the story, not you. Now, stillness is hard for doers because it's the practice of doing nothing yourself. It's hard for thinkers because you have to empty your mind of all those thoughts making a racket in your head. And for feelers, they have to let their emotion pass by. So why do we practice stillness? And the simple answer is because God works in stillness. Let's look at the story of Elijah. Now, I'm not going to do it justice because I'm going to run through it pretty quick. But incredible things take place in this narrative. First, you have this guy, King Ahab. It says in 1 Kings that Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all those who were before him. He married Jezebel, who's now revered for her evilness. Who's heard someone be called a Jezebel before? Maybe it's a Christian thing, I don't know. Um, but like they also, like Jezebel is renowned for this evilness because she would just mercilessly kill um, Israel's prophets. Um, and her and Ahab just were running a mark and making a bunch of altars to this, um, to this other god, Baal, and um, turning away from the God of Israel. And it's at this point where Elijah enters the scene. He goes to Ahab and predicts a drought, and three years of no rain follows. In this time, crazy things happen. Elijah's fed by a widow. He revives her son after the son dies of illness, and then eventually returns to Ahab after these years. Elijah challenges Ahab to a showdown. Baal and 450 of his prophets against the Lord and Elijah. Just, just Elijah, just the one prophet. To sell the story well short of what it's worth, God wins. He shows up. Baal doesn't show up. It's nowhere to be seen. And the drought ends. But as Ahab runs and tells Jezebel of this incredible event, she promises to kill the prophet Elijah. So Elijah flees. And we pick up the story here in 1 Kings 19. I'll read it in the NIV. We'll go through this. 
Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, where he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites had rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah goes on to repeat his reply, and the Lord gives him a plan to return and restore Israel. When I read this, my first, my first thought was a cynical one. It'd be nice to be tapped on the shoulder by an angel of God, right? Um, God does incredible things in this story alone, but there is something deeper taking place that we should understand. What is God's intention here? Why send an angel to bring him food so he can journey to a mountain? Why bring about a great powerful wind and an earthquake and a raging fire? Why wait until after the three subside to speak in a gentle whisper? Why not tell Elijah his plan for Israel when he first asks, instead of showing this great display of nature? Perhaps God feels the need to show Elijah that he's not some behemoth wielding supernatural powers, showing off when needed. Perhaps God wants to teach Elijah and every reader since that he is a relational God, one that listens and speaks and invites us into his story, invites us into his kingdom. God shows us that we're not always going to find him in the attention-grabbing or eye-catching things. Sometimes it's going to be in the quiet, away from the constant rush of life. It could be a gentle whisper, perhaps a thought, or a deep knowing, or a peace that floods the soul. Stillness is a practice that requires sacrifice and deep listening, but it's not a transactional work. You don't practice stillness to get more out of God or because it will bring you peace, um, every time at least. You practice stillness because God has saved you and it deepens your relationship with your Saviour, with your Creator. Like, every, like any relationship, God's not going to give you all the answers you want either. He's not a supermarket cashier checking out items when you come to the register. Jesus doesn't want our rituals anymore. He wants us to follow his way of life in the good or the bad. 
But if we practice stillness without control, manipulation, or underlying motives, God can encounter us on His terms. And we can rediscover our place as the created, formed and sustained by the Creator. The OG to monasticism, St. Anthony, is his name, it looks like this, um, monasticism being like monks, um, he was one of the first and kind of, they call him the father of monasticism, um, spent 80 years in silence and solitude. I'm not, yeah, it's pretty intense. Not advocating that for everyone, but in his pursuit of stillness, An- Anthony, or Anthony he's called, found an answer to the question that plagued him most. Am I my own creator or am I a creature made and loved by a creator? If we ask that question to ourselves and the answer is the first one, then get out there and pursue influence, wealth, power. Go make something of yourself. Go create your own destiny. Create like whatever you want yourself to be because you are your own creator and you could, your life is in front of you and you should strive, you should hustle, You should get to that place that you want to go to because you are your own creator and that's what you can do. But if the answer is the second one, then the reality sinks in that we cannot form ourselves. Silently, we rely on God to form and build us up. And in times of stillness, in times that are empty and meaningless, or so we're told, in these times, the creator can create forming and transforming us more fully into the people he's created us to be. Genesis 1.1, the earth, the, the world was meaning, like was void and meaningless. It was empty. It was formless. In that space, God created. He created life. In our spaces of emptiness and seemingly meaningless time, God can create and form us and transform us more fully into the people he has created us to be. Stillness is not lonely. It's our response to the idea that we are held and we are loved. There's this wonderful quote by a guy called Thomas Keating. He writes poems that being in God's presence is like coming home to a place I should never have left, to an awareness that was somehow always there, but which I did not recognize. And for those that have experienced God's presence, I'm sure they can attest to this this, this familiarity of being in God's presence, like it was like you're returning home it's something almost unexplainable but like we said spiritual disciplines were following the way of Jesus and Jesus pursued stillness as well multiple times he did great miracles and taught incredible truth and then would retreat to a mountain or the wilderness for days to be with his father and practice stillness what would like fully human, he knew the source of his strength. He knew his creator in these stories. I've got Luke five fifteen to 16 here. But now more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and be cured of their diseases, but he would re- withdraw to deserted places and pray. I just wonder what we would do in these moments. Like after incredible miracles have happened, after we've made a difference in the world, like capitalize on that, right? Like keep the momentum going. Like go, don't go away to pray. Go to the next place, heal people. Go to the next place, heal people. Spread the word. Tell everyone about you. Make a difference in the world, right? Like there's this hustle, there's this striving that we have in our culture that is just not the way Jesus operated. Um, and we see it throughout, his, throughout the Gospels. In Luke 4, 
before embarking on his three years of ministry, Jesus went away in solitude and prayed. In Luke 6, Jesus prays all night alone before choosing his 12 disciples. In Matthew 14, when Jesus heard of the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew away to be with God. And in Luke 22, Jesus withdrew to pray, his heart aching because he knew the time had come for him to suffer and be crucified. In the example of Jesus then, we can see that stillness was a practice he would continuously partake in. Before major life events, after major life events, before making important decisions, to grieve, and in times of great distress. It's a practice he pursued consistently and often. And if we are to be followers of Jesus, his disciples, we should practice stillness continuously as well. So how can we pursue stillness? Like um, Dad said last week, we're going to have a, a bit of a practical element of each message and we'll try and do something with that here. Um, as I said, I went on a silent retreat at the start of this year. So to explain, went to Seven Hill in the Clare Valley. It's a Catholic centre of spirituality where I spent five nights away with the purpose of growing closer to God. You'd sleep in dorms, take a daily communion, meet with a spiritual director for an hour each day and then spend the rest of the day in silence, eating in silence, nodding at each other as we walked past in the hallway. It was some experience and God was thoroughly present in it through his scripture he revealed himself in a bunch of ways through nature through like the birds and trees um and prayer in many ways i wrote heaps of notes and i probably talked to myself a lot even though you, <laughs> you maybe not meant to but that's totally fine um but in hindsight i wasn't i wasn't still my mind was set on getting into this holistic and and restful rhythm and that involved going for a run at 8am, seeing the spiritual director at 10am, and then going for a hike, and then coming back for communion, then having dinner, then reading, and then sleeping. I tried to like, compartmentalize my time as we so classically do. And although I thoroughly enjoyed the retreat, and it was a like, really awesome time, and if that's something you want to experience, I'd, um, I'd recommend it 100%. But looking back, there was something missing, and that was this single-minded openness to God. Um, a schedule I pulled together to try and make the most of the time because it's this five-day silent retreat, I've got to make the most of it all, became something that hindered it. And why am I telling you this? Because I think that for us to practice stillness effectively and grow in this discipline, we must change the way we hold our time. So let's make this practical. I've got four kind of things that we'll have a look at. Um, and the first is time. The question is, is there one thing you can change about next week's calendar that will allow you to slow down and be still with God? Perhaps you need a sledgehammer to attack your schedule and just free it up because you've realized that I've prioritized striving and, and getting somewhere myself over being and, and letting God be creator of my life um, perhaps it just needs a single change I know for some people they just need something in the morning that helps them notice God sometimes they need a day of the week where they just have a have a stillness or like an hour of one day each week where they just spend time with God but I 
encourage you? Is there one thing you can, if look, looking at your calendar this week, and we'll get a chance to do this in a sec, is there something that will allow you to slow down and be still with God? Something you can change? And just to make clear again, being still and waiting for God with open hands is a productive use of time. Remember that. My second one is to escape. Being still requires separating ourselves from the things that demand our energy and attention. What is one place you can go to escape the rush of life and listen deeply to God? You know, the first place I reckon I experienced stillness in my life was in the shower. Um, Like, much to mum and dad's displeasure when I spend 15 minutes in there. um, Like, it was the only place to escape the noise of my phone and the noise of everything else. And I didn't realise it at the time. I just like thought, oh, the shower's great because everything is just peaceful. Everything is quiet. It's just this water washing over my head, drowning out whatever else is around me, any of the thoughts in my head. And eventually it became somewhere I realised I could pray and, um, and like talk to God. In. Not that I do that every time, but it just, like all of a sudden I realised that was a place of, of peace, a place of stillness. I know for others it's going for walks. Um, sometimes just leaving your phone at home, just going for a walk around your neighbourhood is a great way to practise stillness sometimes maybe it's going to a cafe that you really like and just going on your own and and just resting perhaps there's the garden near your work that you like to go to and everything's just a bit much um i know for me i love going swimming um probably not in winter but in in summer there's just you can't get distracted like you're just with the waves it's just like there's nothing that can pull you aside it's just you in the ocean and it just it forces you to be still. Um, I know one other good thing to escape, if you've got a lot of thoughts in your head, write them down. Um, it's like, if you really want to be still and you're sitting there and there's just thoughts are racing, sometimes it just helps to put them in your notes app or whatever, wherever you track all your thoughts and just leave them there so you know you'll see them again. Um, but then take the time to be still. The third one is noticing. Now, the art of spirituality is learning to look. Um, Teresa of Avila um, said that about a thousand years ago, I think. Um, and in moments of practicing stillness, attentively note the things around you that remind you of God. Um, I know I've spoken to Dad about this, and um, for him it's, it's the ocean and it's eternal backwards and forwards, the to and fro of the waves, always receding always crashing back it just reminds him of God's eternity and his ever presence and and continuality um, I know for some that's breathing if you if you're worried or anxious just know breathing in and out and remembering that God is always there always present always here for me on that silent retreat I it's it's a funny one but it works for me I, whenever I see a magpie I think of God now um, and it's maybe remember three or so years ago, I think there was a poem about the church that mum wrote and it had the magpies warbling uh, off and you sit, hear them in the tree all the time. But in that, I, I was at this silent retreat and I was like, God, where are you? Like, I want to hear from you. I'm, I'm ready. I want to listen. What's going on? And sometimes it would just, I don't know what grabbed my attention, but whenever I noticed a magpie, I remembered that God was present and here and and active and wanting to wanting to speak and whenever I'd wherever I'd walk in that place like magpie would just 
remind me that God is here, God is present. He doesn't go anywhere, of course, but it's just a reminder of, of God's presence in, in our lives. And maybe for you, that's scripture. Um, you love to look at scripture and, um, and that helps you to notice God. Um, that's totally cool too. The last one is community. Stillness is strengthened in community and by the spiritual practices that are meant to be shared, like accountability, like confession, um, praying together, reading the Bible together, um, practicing your spiritual gifts together. Bonhoeffer, the German theologian and martyr, says this, those who want community without solitude plunge into the void of words and feelings, and those who seek solitude without community perish in the bottomless pit of vanity, self-infatuation and despair. They have to come together. So ask yourself the question, are there like-minded people in my life that I can practice stillness with? And we're just going to come into a time of response. I might just get Emma to play keys if that's cool. Um, Look, I was sitting there during worship today. It was a really awesome time. But there was a there was a set, like, I, I always get nervous before before sharing. It's just something that happens to get this knot in my stomach that I can't shake. And it's just, it's not a very nice feeling, honestly. It's it's just a, it's something that just, I guess, is probably pretty normal. And um, But one thing, I was just sitting there in worship, standing in worship. Um, and the only words that were in my head was... In my weakness, you make me strong. And it's just so true about stillness, in letting go, in admitting your vulnerability, letting, realizing and saying that you are not in control of your life. God can come in and, and make us strong and in His control just do great things. And every time I said, every time the, the knot got stronger in my stomach, I would just say it again and again in my head. And, um, and that not would subside it was it was pretty cool because I felt like oh nice this is working but being still is a surrender it's a letting go a giving up to stop allowing ourselves to indulge the torment of life at breakneck speed it's a decision to let God be God that incredible verse when the Egyptians are closing in on the Israelites in Exodus 14 it's verse 13 to 14 for those who want to know but this verse, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. I, it was Steve Woods that had a prophetic word for us as a church in 2023, and that was to simply give up, to give up control. And slowing down and practicing stillness is clear as day, you surrendering to Jesus' way of living. Take the time to reflect on the questions up there. Um, we're just going to, Emma's just going to play and, and we're just going to take our time with ourselves. Just reflecting on those questions. Write answers down if you want to write them on your phone or just want to note them in your head. And if you have time, try out being still with God. Empty yourself from the distractions. I'm pretty sure everyone in this room is will be trying to practice stillness as well. So you don't have to worry about the distraction of others. Um, you might hear a, a kid yelling, and that's totally fine. But just like give it a go if you if you have answers to those things. But don't go away from here unless you really don't think you need stillness. Then you can go away from here and be be fine. But if you feel like you need stillness, take something away from it. Um, 
just do try and do something to draw yourself closer to God. Um, and it's not about the doing. It's just about drawing closer to Him in any way that we can. So let's close our eyes and or bow our heads or whatever you want to do to stop others from distracting you. And let's spend this next moment in surrender, in stillness. No works, no manipulating the environment, no control, just stillness. Psalm 46, be still and know that he is God. For those that feel like this is all too hard, that stillness just seems unreachable, unattainable, I just encourage you to, to start somewhere. Maybe you can't escape. Perhaps you can just put your phone in a different room or put your phone in your bag. Just do something small. Just be more still. Perhaps your schedule is too full and it feels impossible to change. And Just pray that something becomes clear that frees up time. It sounds like you're stretched too thin. Um, and if, like, for me, stillness is a struggle. I pray that one day I'll be still enough that I won't bite my nails every time, every week, and, and chew them to a pulp. But it's a journey, spiritual discipline. So you, you're heading in a direction. You're not arriving at a destination. So um, I just, just as well, I just want to say that if you do notice God's work in stillness and there's something that really catches, captures your attention and and amazes you or just surprises you or just is really cool share it with others don't just hold it for yourself like this morning I was in worship actually standing right there and Des is playing the drums just a meter away and Des is a really good drummer and like I think just in the way that God keeps in the way that he kept time I feel like God keeps time but it's not a monotonous keeping of time it's a there's the drum feels there's the like he mixes like it up it's not just some boring rhythm it's exciting it's fun it's full of ups and downs and silences and loud parts and um yeah I just guess I just notice God's rhythm in that um so I encourage you to to share those sort of things if they ever capture your attention or capture your your, your heart and um, I'm just going to close in prayer and then I'll pass back to Damien to do the announcements but let's just bow our heads and pray yeah God thank you for your life that you've given us thank you that we don't have to try and create ourselves or form ourselves God but you are the creator and sustainer and that will, you will always be that for us. Lord, um, thank you that it takes the pressure off of us trying to achieve something with our lives, God, but that when we just participate with you, you do incredible things. You give us purpose. You give us meaning in life, Lord. And um, yeah, I just pray that in these moments we can be still. We can know that you are God. We can slow down. We can rest. We can get rid of distraction. We can enter this journey of becoming more like you, Jesus. 
Thank you for today. Thank you for tomorrow. Thank you for what's to come. You want to hear me pray?